Yeah. Oh, it is so good to see all of you. Welcome. Um, it is, what, a, what a wonderful problem uh, to be running out of space. Uh, we maxed out the camp facility this weekend, uh, sitting on the floor, jammed up here. Um, praise God. I love how God is at work at Mill City and uh, in all ages, but specifically amongst uh, Mills, middle school, high school, and college students here in our house. Uh, I want to also welcome everybody joining us online today. Can we give a big warm welcome to our online family? So glad that you're with us. For anybody who's maybe brand new today, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, I have a, one of, I have, we have two boys that just went up to camp. One of them is Smith. And just recently, uh, right here. Yeah, that's right. Hello, Smith. <laughs> I see how this is going to go today. All right. Um, so, so Smith uh, last week was um, painting, and I were, he was wanting to paint something. So, so we went to the garage, and we got everything set up, and he was painting this uh, cornhole board. And, 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 and so I was trying to teach him how to put the right amount of paint on and wipe it on properly and all that kind of thing. And, and several times I'm like, slow down, just slow down because, because you got drips over here and you got, and you're missing spots right here. Uh, just slow, not so fast. And, and that's the series we're in right now. Uh, and in many ways, it's kind of been a theme, if you will, of the series we've been in since the beginning of February, going through and journeying through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're not going very fast. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and now we're in chapter 7. We'll finish chapter 7 at the end of October. And uh, so three chapters, nine months. And we've taken it at this pace because... We don't want to miss anything. And, and specifically because if we are going to apprentice to Jesus and become more like him, then we need to be radically focused on what Jesus said and how he lived. The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' kingdom manifesto. It was his way of saying and describing the kind of life that we would live and can experience under the rule and reign of God. And in a world fluent in the language of civil religion and political ideology, followers of Jesus need to be fluent in the language of the kingdom of God, in relationship to finances, relationships, uh, uh, worry, prayer, all the things that Jesus talks about and that encompass every aspect of our lives. And so the, the passage we're going to land on here today is just one verse. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, and it says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Maybe you're familiar with the Bible and familiar with church, or maybe you're unfamiliar with the Bible and unfamiliar with church, but maybe this rings a bell. Uh, because this is a pretty famous saying of Jesus, also known as the golden rule. Now when Jesus talks about this here in Matthew 7, uh, he's doing a few things. First of all, he's kind of capping off what he has just talked about for the last, since the beginning of chapter 7. The beginning of chapter 7 started off with, do not judge lest you be judged. So he talks about judgment and how we might want to control people through judgment. 
After that, he talks about not casting your pearls before swine and, and get, potentially getting trampled by dogs. He's talking about not using force and manipulation to get people to do things, to control them. Instead, he says, pray. Talked about that last week. And a way of maybe thinking about all of that is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You wouldn't want to be judged. You wouldn't want to be forced. You wouldn't want to be manipulated. So how would you want to be treated? Jesus is not only capping off this little section, he's actually also capping off something he started in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Here's that same phrase that he uses in chapter 7 verse 12 this, where he says this sums up the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets being the, uh, basically the entirety of the Bible as they knew it in that particular day. He says, I've not come, come to abolish them, to, but to fulfill them. And then after that, after that, he says that in chapter 5, he goes on to unpack what that looks like, what the fulfillment of that looks like. And he goes through 14 different teachings, and those are the things that we've been unpacking and talking about these last several months. And he talks about anger, and he talks about lust, and he talks about commitment, and he talks about nonviolence, and he talks about loving your enemies, and he talks about finances, and he talks about prayer, and he talks about motives, and he talks about worry, and several other things. Now you might say, I can't remember all that. <laughs> That's okay, because Jesus says, if you can't remember that, remember this, and then that will influence you to remember the other things in the right way. So he's giving, in some ways, a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. So if we can, let's actually say that together, all right? It's going to come up here on the screen again, Matthew 7, verse 12. Let's read this together. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now when he says others, do unto others, specifically for his first century audience, they might have thought, oh, do unto other Jews. But Jesus doesn't use the word that would indicate kind of your people. He is using the word for anyone and everyone. Not just the people who are like you, not just the people who think like you, not the people who look like you, but everyone. In that particular day, it would have looked like not just those who are clean, but those who are unclean to everyone. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is reshaping how we relate to others, and especially to those who don't treat us well. And if you think about this, if this is the summary of the Sermon on the Mount, then that means that our apprenticeship to Jesus is a lot about relationship and how we interact with other people. Now, not only is Jesus summarizing the Sermon on the Mount, He's actually also distilling the essence of the Torah, all of the law and the prophets, the Bible up to this point, and, and, he's, and he's saying it in one sentence, which wasn't a new thing. Rabbis would have been asked on a regular basis, how would you summarize? It was a little bit of like a rabbinical challenge uh, where the rabbis were trying to, to put it into a sentence. Rabbi Hillel, a couple of decades prior, had been asked that question, and his response, the Torah in a sentence, is, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Now, we know it as the golden rule, but Jesus didn't call it the golden rule. It was called the golden rule in the second century, specifically by a Roman emperor named Alexander Severus. 
He, found, he was not a follower of Jesus, but he found it so insightful and helpful that he had it inscribed on a gold plate in his chamber and then inscribed throughout the city. So because of that, they called it the golden rule. But in the first century, the golden rule was brand new. No other rabbi had described the Torah like this. No, no other rabbi or any other person had, had described kind of everything summing up in this way. And so this was a revolutionary way of distilling down the essence of what it meant to follow Jesus, to follow God. Now today, it's maybe one of Jesus' most famous sayings. Followers of Jesus and non-followers of Jesus would be able to identify or have heard of the golden rule. Maybe you've heard the phrase before, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity can also breed something even worse, and that's apathy. And so my hope is here today that even though we might be familiar with the golden rule, that there would be a fresh way that this impacts our hearts and our lives so that we can live into it and allow it to give direction to how we interact with others. Now, we like the golden rule. Everybody's like, yep, I'm all about the golden rule, want to live the golden rule. But there are other rules, and I'm not making this up. Um, and oftentimes what we live by is the wooden rule. And the wooden rule says, do to others as they do to you. Now, this can look like the negative, which is if you punch me, I'm going to punch you back. This can look like if you insult me, I'm going to insult you. If you reject me, I'm going to reject you. If you uh, bomb me, I'm going to bomb you, right? We are going to counter punch. And maybe we'll actually even try to preempt it by, I'm going to punch you before you punch me. It can also look like the positive. If you compliment me, I'll compliment you. If you accept me, I will accept you. But if we think about it, it's actually pretty childish to be reactive in that way. But the reality is, is that many people never grow past this level of maturity. Just take a look at Facebook comments, right? We look at and we see people's reactivity. I can't believe you said that. You're an idiot. And we see this reactive counterpunching that happens. You treat me like this, I'm going to treat you like this. Which is why we need emotionally healthy relationships and emotionally healthy spirituality. Now, a little bit of a sales pitch, unashamedly, it is important that we engage in, one, in these courses. They start next week, by the way, um, because it helps us in our reactivity. Our quickness to react is oftentimes an indicator of our maturity. And if we are able to not react just counter-punching, then we have a better, it's a better indicator of the maturity that's happening in our lives. There's the wooden rule, but there's also something else called the silver rule, which is better than the wooden rule, but it says this, don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. This is almost the, the opposite of, or the negative side of, the golden rule. And this is what Rabbi Hillel said, uh, where he says, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This was also stated by Confucius. This is embraced within Buddhism or in Hinduism, Stoicism. It's kind of a live and let live mentality. You know, you be you, I'll be me. Let's not bother each other. Live in harmony. 
peace. Right? Which aligns a lot with our cultural definition of love. Tolerance. Anybody does whatever they want to do. Niceness. Let's just be nice. Now, I'm, I'm for niceness. Let's be nice and let's be tolerant. But, but the, the golden rule is actually countercultural. It was counterculture in his day, and in many ways it's very countercultural in our day, which is why Jesus is so punk rock. So <laughs> awesome. Because there is a big difference between not doing harm and alleviating harm. Because there's a big difference between not being unjust and actually fighting for justice. There's a big difference between not hurting someone but actually bringing healing. And that's what the difference is between the golden rule and the silver rule. The silver rule is self-focused. The golden rule is others-focused. And the golden rule is due to others what you would want them to do to you. What would I want if I were in your shoes? That's the question that Jesus is asking us. Jesus is encouraging us to step into their shoes and cultivate empathy. Paul picks this up in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when he's talking about love your neighbor, he's not saying have good feelings towards them. He's talking about an active love. Not live and let live, but actively seeking the flourishing of someone else. But Jesus takes it further in the way that he lives, and it's picked up here in the Scripture in John 15, verse 13. It says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. So this, this love that he's talking about is not a feeling. It's an action, and it's specifically also a sacrificial action. It's not feel unto others. It's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Actively seek the well-being of someone else, even if it costs you. Now, here's the problem. We, like, we think I'm all about that until they don't do it back. Because just because you do it unto others doesn't mean they always will do it back to you. So you might be honest, and they might not be honest back. You might be kind, and they might not be kind back. You might be fair, and they might be unfair back. You might accept them, and they still might reject you. But Jesus doesn't say, well, if you, once you've tried it, then you can go back to the wooden rule. Most of us can love when there's reciprocity. When what we give is given back. But it is hard, if not impossible, to love without being loved back. Because to give love in and of itself is vulnerable. Because we put ourselves into the place of possibly being hurt and not being loved in return. But this is where we differentiate between human love and divine love. Human love is directed towards others for one's own sake. Divine love is directed towards others for God's sake. In other words, this isn't about 
just me and how I want it to go and I feel about it. This is about God. Now, Jesus never teaches us to do something that he never did on his own. Jesus models the golden rule to us. He loved without being loved in return. Jesus gave his life away without a guarantee that he would be loved back in the same way. And the reason is, is because he knew he was already loved by his Father. He wasn't living his life out of the love that was given back to him. He was living his life out of the love that was already happened and was already present in him. And the reality is, is that is what God is calling us to do. We will not be able to live the golden rule in actuality unless we live out of the love of God. If you read the Gospel of John and, and we read about John, and it's kind of funny because if you read the Gospel of John, John talks about himself and he always describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loves. Hi, I'm Aaron. Oh, what do you, who are you? I'm the one that Jesus loves. What's your name? Oh, I'm Sally. Sally, the one that Jesus loves. In, in other words, He grounds himself. His main descriptor of himself isn't his vocation, his achievements, his successes, his accomplishments, his network, his net worth, loved by Jesus. What's he saying? And what does this mean for each one of us? If we are able to identify and find our grounding and our anchor in the love of God, we will be able to be fueled by divine love in order to live out and be who Jesus has called us to be. See, we cannot find, we cannot give what we do not possess. And if we haven't grounded ourselves in the love of the Father, we're going to have a hard time expressing that love to the world around us. Now, what's difficult and what's very prevalent in our society today is an anger that is fueled by this gap of lack of reciprocity. There's, a, there's, there's this, this incongruity between, the, and which is creating a lot of division in our world. And, and, and we, when we focus on the lack of reciprocity, the incongruity between actions or even somebody who says, I'm a Christian, but then they don't act like it. That incongruity can, can fuel a lot of anger. And we can say that about someone else, like, well, I can't believe you treated me like this. And it's the incongruity between, I shouldn't be treated like that, but that's how I'm being treated. Or you say you're a particular, you, that you follow Jesus, but I don't see the love of Jesus being expressed in your life. Or you hurt me, but you didn't repair, or whatever the case might be. And that incongruity and that gap can fuel a sense of anger in us. Dallas Willard, the author of The Divine Conspiracy, who taught philosophy at the University of Southern California, before his death, and he said this, laughter is the automatic human response to incongruity. And incongruity is never lacking on the human scene. One of the things that disappear when we are grinding away at others with our condemnations and blamings is laughter. We become insufferably grim. So focused on the gaps and so angry about it that we can't even laugh. 
laugh about the reality of that in our own lives, let alone the lives of others. So as we read that and hear from Dallas Willard, are you insufferably grim? (laughs) I love that phrase. Do you have a hard time laughing? Is it maybe because the gaps and the incongruity of treatment created an element of anger. Now, the Scripture says, and maybe you've heard it said before, laughter is good medicine. But laughter is also a symbol of redemption, meaning that in the incongruity, it actually speaks to something bigger. If we go to the Old Testament, we see the story in Genesis of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is told by God that he and Sarah are going to have a child They don't have a child, but the fact is, the crazy thing is, is that he's 100 and she's 90. So they laugh. (laughs) I think I would laugh too. You know, we read that and we think, oh, God just told you, can't you just trust God? I would laugh hysterically, I think, if I was 100 and Jossie was 90 and we're going to have a baby. I'd laugh and cry, probably. They do have a son. His name's Isaac. Isaac's name means laughter. Now, what do we have here? Incongruity. Like 90 and 100, having a baby doesn't make sense. There's a gap between what is and what should be. Uh, Isaac, laughter. Like, is that a joke? Is that a penalty? Now, actually, it's a perpetual reminder that God breaks through incongruity. That God breaks through the areas where it doesn't seem fair or it doesn't make sense. Where where the treatment of someone else doesn't bring the reciprocity of love. That acceptance brings rejection. That is incongruous. And yet we say God is a God of redemption and He breaks through. So our ability to laugh in the face of difficulty and troubles and incongruity is a reminder for each one of us that we trust God and God can break through as we connect to divine love and allow that love to flow through us to the people around us. The golden rule also flies in the face of our culture today because our cultural mantra says, do whatever feels best. You do you. Just do what feels natural. The golden rule doesn't feel natural. Can we just embrace that reality, right? It doesn't. I mean, what's natural? Winding up. Ripping open the trampoline. Get out of my yard. (laughs) Before I take your head off. You want me to see? (laughs) I know you didn't do this, Nick, but, you know, it's like... I know, I'm a dad, I, have, I know the feeling. He probably wanted to get, pull that kid out and throw balls at his face. This is what it feels like, you like that? That's what's natural. But Jesus is asking us not to do what's natural because our strongest desire is not our most important desire. But I gotta be authentic, Aaron. I don't wanna be a hypocrite. Hypocrisy is not acting contrary to your feelings. Hypocrisy is acting contrary to your convictions. So we need to live into our convictions even when they might not feel natural. 
So the question we all have to ask here today, which rule is my default setting? Is it the wooden rule, the silver rule, or the golden rule? Certainly the silver rule is better than the, gold, than the, the wooden rule, but Jesus is calling us to live out the golden rule. Now, I would love to stand before you today and say, my default setting is the golden rule. And there are times that I, I feel like, oh, yeah, there's a golden rule moment, and then turn right around and have a wooden rule moment. Or my boys, sorry guys, uh, annoying me. <laughs> and I, just like Nick talked about a little bit earlier, patience, yep, oh, yeah, man, I'm feeling the movement of the Spirit. And then it's one just disrespectful comment that just all of a sudden, all of that goes away, and I snap. So I will be the first one to say that I miss it sometimes. But I also want to be the first one to repent. My goal is that I would be the first one to repent and the first one to repair to make things right. Because all of us love the golden rule, want to be treated like that, want to treat others like that. But just because we want something doesn't mean that that's what happens in our lives. If I would, I, if I could, I would. If you could, you would. Which indicates why we need the power of the Holy Spirit indicates why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to live this out. Because we can't do it on our own. Because it is the Holy Spirit that grounds us in the love of God. It is the Holy Spirit that enables the love of God to flood our hearts. And in those moments where we're maybe feeling the wind-up, <laughs> whether physically or verbally, that the Holy Spirit would remind us. Hey, hey, hey. Golden rule. Which is why our weekly practice, something I want every one of us to do as we follow the way of Jesus together, is to daily pray, Holy Spirit, will you bring the golden rule to my mind today? So that in, your, in that moment, maybe it's with your sibling, maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with your, with your kids, maybe it's with your parents, maybe it's with a schoolmate, maybe it's with a, a roommate, whomever it might be. That in that moment, when the wind-up is kind of happening, that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit calls it wrong. Oh. Pause. Deep breath. Step back. And maybe in that pausing moment, realize not just this is what I'm supposed to do, but actually step into their shoes. And maybe we start to realize, oh yeah, I forgot. Sometimes, and this is true for me too, hurting people hurt people. And to follow the way of Jesus is to bless those who curse us. And no matter how much I so desperately want to actually or meta uh, metaphorically punch them in the face, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to do to them what I 
wish someone would do to me if I were in their shoes. Uh, I want us to ask this question and pray that prayer every every day. And maybe if maybe for some of us, like multiple, multiple times a day. But can we just together right now pause? Maybe could you just take a moment and close your eyes? And is there a person that comes to mind that is specifically difficult to engage in relationship to the golden rule? And whoever maybe came to mind, you fill in this sentence in your mind. If I were, and whoever that person is, what would I want from me? Put yourself in their shoes. If I were so-and-so in this situation, what would I want from me? going to give us a moment of quiet and space to think about that. And then as we answer that question, I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. you're like me, there was multiple names in that space. But imagine if we all lived that way. If what we hoped someone would do to us, what we would want someone to do to us, we actually lived that out. Imagine what our world would look like. Imagine what our relationships would look like. Jonathan Sachs, British rabbi, wrote in his book, Morality, every time we hold out the hand of friendship to somebody not like us or who has hurt us, whose class or creed or color are different than ours, we heal one of the fractures of our wounded worlds. It's not hard for us to see and know the fractures of our world. And if we're honest, to see the fractures of of our relationships and the fractures of our own hearts. But God's desire for us is to reflect His love into the world. And so my prayer, first and foremost, for all of us, is that we would find ourselves overwhelmed with the love of God. That God lived according to the golden rule. We were in a helpless state, caught in sin and overwhelmed because of the evil of the world. And God didn't say, well, figure it out. You did this. He just spit in God's face. Now he says, I am going to do what they cannot do for themselves. Sends his son to the earth that we might experience redemption and restoration. And so the question for all of us here today is am I able to live out of that love? For some of you here today, the invitation is to receive the love of God today, 
to believe and trust that Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. So much so that he sacrificially loved, gave his life away on the cross. And if that's you here today, then you say, I want to live out that kind of love. I want to live out the golden rule in my life with my friends, with my neighbors, with my enemies. We have to receive the love of God. So will you respond to the invitation of the Holy Spirit today? And maybe you're here in church for the first time or the first time in a long time. But if you're here today and want to cross the line of faith and say, yeah, I want to receive that love, will you just say under your breath, sincerely, Jesus, I give you my life. He gave his life. We give our lives in return. As we do that, we experience the love and the life of God. And we live our lives walking that out and continually learning how to receive and live out of that love. If that's you here today, you made one of the most, you made the most important decision of your life and it will change the trajectory of your life. As we close here today, we're going to take a moment and pray for you. I've asked Jossie, my wife, to come up and close us in prayer and, um, and just to pray into what Jesus is talking about, what he's encouraging for all of us as followers of Jesus. And that we might not just know the golden rule, like the golden rule, but we would live the golden rule. God, it is so kind of you that you see us in all of our limitations. All of our ways are familiar to you. You see the brokenness of our world. You see the brokenness in us and all the ways we get tangled. But you are so good. Your compassions never fail. Your mercies are new every morning. So we lean into that. And we lean into the gift that you invite us to walk out our salvation with repentance and rest. It's not to get it right. It's to bring our limitations to you and be filled again. It is to repent and rest and walk with you and work with you and learn the ways that you work and wholeheartedly receive that love. I am loved by Jesus. And then to live into that with each other. So God, we ask each one of us for you to teach us your ways, show us your paths, guide us in your truth in all the ways that you know we have need. You are a present help. So we exalt you in every circumstance, every relationship. We invite your shepherding. We invite um, the depths of your love to reach the depths in us that need it. And we love that you invite us to be a part of your redeeming work in the earth and in us. So do it in us, do it through us, and be glorified. You are good and we praise you. Minister to each one of us what you know we need, and we will look to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you for all of these young people. Such a joy to be on the mountaintop with them. All their faces and smiles and tears and just your goodness for them. May they receive all that you have promised. May they rest in you as they recover from maybe a little less sleep, but a lot of goodness. Uh, lead them for their hearts to burn with love for you 
and knowing your love the rest of their lives, 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 the rest of their lives.